Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer at iHeartRadio and HowStuffWorks, and I love all things tech. And in mid-November 2018, Sony the company that makes the PlayStation 4 game console, announced it would not be taking part in the 2019 E3 conference. E3, which essentially stands for the Electronic Entertainment Expo, although I think they just call themselves E3 these days. Anyway, it's a big annual industry event that takes place in Los Angeles, California. It's not the largest video game industry conference in the world. There's one called Gamescom in Germany that has about 300,000 more people attending it than E3. But E3 is usually viewed as one of the most important video game conferences of the year. It puts a spotlight on video game companies and titles, as well as hardware manufacturers. So let's take a step back to talk about the brief history of E3 before we explore the whole Sony story here. So before there was an E3, most video game manufacturers would showcase upcoming consoles and titles at CES. CES is another one of those conferences that used to be known by its name Consumer Electronics Show, but again, they kind of shy away from that and just call themselves CES these days. There was no dedicated conference for video games at that time. And after the video game crash of 1983, it was kind of a question as to whether the home video game market would even be a thing ever again. But then Nintendo came along with the Famicom, uh, also known as the Nintendo Entertainment System, and the industry would claw its way back to stable ground. But for about a decade... CES was the one big trade show where companies could show off their stuff. And this was actually pretty tough because there's a lot that's going on during CES. So standing out from all the other things that are happening at that same time is a really big challenge. Then we flash forward by more than a decade, really. In 1995, there was an organization coming together. Originally, it was called the Interactive Digital Software Association, but it would change its name eventually to the Entertainment Software Association, or ESA. The ESA is the organization that created E3. It organized a brand new trade show dedicated solely to the video game industry. At the time, video games were not nearly as prominent in culture as they are today. So the goal was multifold. It was to give video game studios and console manufacturers a dedicated event where they didn't have to vie against microprocessors and TVs and refrigerators for attention. They would be able to hold meetings with each other and do business. They would be able to promote things to the media. And they would be able to bring some attention to an industry that otherwise was fairly obscure Apart from the, you know, legions of dedicated gamers out there, no one was really aware of it. So that first event in, uh, in 1995 had approximately 50,000 attendees. I've seen estimates between 40 and 50,000, really. And it was an industry and press event, which meant the general public was not allowed to attend. If you were not media and you weren't connected to the video game industry, you were not allowed to go. This gave game developers the chance to promote their work directly to the media, as well as to corporate 
representatives of some of the larger retail organizations. They got a chance to talk to these video game developers. And so you had these conversations where you could actually make deals where uh, the retail representative would agree to carry those video game titles and put them on store shelves. Because in those days, physical copy was really the only option. You didn't have digital distribution networks. So this conference, it filled a very important role. It gave these video game companies the outlet not just to the media, but also to the stores that would ultimately carry the titles. So E3 was all about marketing and sales, essentially. That first year saw Sony reveal the original PlayStation price and release date in the United States, and Nintendo would show off the Virtual Boy, which would go on to become one of the most panned flops in video game tech history. Sega also announced that it would start shipping the Sega Saturn console to retailers during the event itself. It was meant to be a big sort of press reveal. And there were big video game companies like EA, Capcom, Acclaim, and more that were at that first E3. It was considered a big success when it was all over. And the ESA would continue to hold E3. And the next two events were in Los Angeles. But then negotiations with venues did not go so well for the next couple of years. So typically, if you're going to throw a big event, you have to make uh, arrangements years in advance to guarantee the space. And the ESA was unable to do that in 1997 and 98 in Los Angeles. So instead, E3 for those two years took place in my hometown of Atlanta, Georgia. It would return to Los Angeles after 98. And no, I never got to go to E3 while it was next door to me. I was not working in the field of tech at that time. In 1999, Sega would show off the Dreamcast. Sony gave some previews of the PlayStation 2. And in 2000, Microsoft appeared at E3 for the first time to promote the upcoming premiere of the Xbox console. In 2001, Sega would make its final appearance as a console maker, though it would continue to show up as a game developer. It just was getting out of the hardware business. Nintendo would show off the GameCube that same year. And the event grew year over year, until 2007. That year, several exhibitors had approached the ESA with concerns about how E3 was just growing too big, and it was too flashy and too focused on the media. The exhibitors felt they were seeing diminishing returns, that the large number of attendees made it difficult to have any meaningful interactions with any one person, because you just, you were flooded with people all the time. And the spectrum of medium media had uh, grown significantly. You know, in the, in the old days when it first started, it was pretty much mostly print publications. So you had gaming and computer magazines that were, and some newspaper reporters that were largely the press at this event. But by the mid-2000s, the web had really taken over. You know, the print medium was dying compared to the web. I hate saying that. I mean, of course, print media is still around. It's not like it's gone. But the web was definitely taking the lead over print. And now bloggers were making up a larger percentage of the press passes. So the ESA took a look at these complaints from the exhibitors and responded by purposefully scaling back E3. So then the organization announced in 2007, E3 would become an invitation-only event, and also it would be limited in size. Only 10,000 attendees would be allowed to go there, including a select few from the media. 
And it would not take place at a centralized location like the L.A. Convention Center. Instead, it was spread across multiple smaller venues across Santa Monica. The response was not what the exhibitors or the ESA had hoped for. The reduced media coverage meant that the game companies received far less attention and therefore very much less free publicity, which unfortunately was something that they had been enjoying without any fear up to that point. So they found out late in the game that the real audience for E3 happened to be all those bloggers and the media professionals after all. So after the 2008 conference, which was also a stripped-down, more modest affair, the ESA chose to return to the bigger, bolder, brassier approach. The 2009 conference had 41,000 attendees. And the 2010 show saw game developers like Ubisoft, Konami, and EA hold their own press conferences, which expanded the media events beyond just the console manufacturers. They had frequently been holding live conferences, but now the game developers themselves were starting to hold their live press events. So those companies set the precedent for what we've seen over the years since, when company representatives take the stage to show off footage from previously announced games, all the way up to unveiling exclusive announcements of game titles that had previously been top secret. In 2013, Nintendo chose to skip E3, and it held its own presentation called Nintendo Direct, with a pre-recorded presentation. This marked the beginning of Nintendo sort of backing away a bit from E3. They would come back in 2014 to have some space on the exhibition floor, but they would continue to do their pre-recorded direct events rather than holding a live event. So they do still show up to E3, but they don't hold a live press conference like Microsoft or, until recently, Sony. This helps keep Nintendo games... Uh, in gamers' minds. And in fact, Nintendo is known for holding multiple digital events throughout the year so that it's not dependent on just one major event to impress gamers. This way, gamers tend to be aware of what's coming out throughout the year, and it's not just one big moment. However, uh, some people believe that this means that the company tends to have less of an impact at E3, and that means that they don't often feature into the main conversation. You'll often hear from the more recent E3s, the ones like 2014, 2015, 2016, who won E3, and it usually comes down to an argument between Microsoft and Sony, which is kind of infuriating for anyone who's a PC gamer and has no interest in console gaming. In 2017, the ESA made another big change to E3, one that was seen as either inconvenient or downright controversial. The organization opened up the conference for the first time to the general public. If you wanted to go to E3, you could purchase a ticket for between $150 and $250, a princely sum, and then you could attend. That would give you access to the exhibit floor space which meant you could line up for hours in order to get a little hands-on time with an upcoming video game title or watch an, a non-interactive demo. Now, I was there in 2017, and I saw a lot of people waiting around for half a day to play games like God of War for about 10 minutes. I can't speak to their experience. It's possible they all loved it. But to me, it seemed like a recipe for disappointment. Would you walk away feeling that those hours in line were well spent? 
I guess if you were making friends in the line, that would help. As a member of the media, I could have jumped ahead of most lines if I had wanted to, but I spent most of my time observing. Because honestly, it felt kind of scuzzy to jump ahead. Maybe if my job was to cover only video games, if that was all I did, I probably would have jumped ahead because it's the only way I would have gotten enough work done. But I cover all of technology, so I felt like I should probably just sit back, let the other video game journalists actually get in to do their jobs and let the people who paid to be there the chance to play these games. And I would just kind of observe. Now that brings us up to Sony's announcement that it would not be participating in E3 in 2019. The company will not have a space on the exhibition floor. There will still be game developers at E3 showing off PlayStation games on PlayStation hardware, but there won't be a dedicated Sony space, nor will there be a live event filled with weird entertainment and video game announcements. The 2018 Sony live event was really darn weird. I'll explain more about Sony's thoughts in just a moment, but first let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. Sony released a statement about their decision to skip E3, and it said, quote, As the industry evolves, Sony Interactive Entertainment continues to look for inventive opportunities to engage the community. PlayStation fans mean the world to us, and we always want to innovate, think differently, and experiment with new ways to delight gamers. As a result, we have decided not to participate in E3 in 2019. We are exploring new and familiar ways to engage our community in 2019 and can't wait to share our plans with you. End quote. Now, that's not that different from what Nintendo executives said when Nintendo decided to skip holding that live press event at E3. The big difference here is that Sony is skipping the whole thing, not just the live event. And E3 is not the only event that Sony has backed out of. Sony launched uh, their own event called the PlayStation Experience back in 2014. At that time, it was celebrating the 20th anniversary of the PS1. But earlier in 2018, Sony executives revealed that there would be no such event this year in December 2018. So what's the reason for that? The executives were very candid. They said there just wouldn't be enough new games that are far enough along in their development to create an experience that would satisfy fans. So rather than hold an event where they might have two or three new titles, many of which gamers are already familiar with because they've already seen promotional material for these games, that would they would walk away disappointed and Sony didn't want that. So they decided that for this year, they're going to skip the PlayStation experience. One of the discussions going around online is that Sony pulling out of E3 is another sign that the conference overall doesn't really serve a useful purpose anymore. It's easier than ever for companies to reach out over various digital platforms to promote upcoming games and hardware. From company-owned media outlets to Twitch streamers, there's no shortage of points of contact with the general public. You could even bypass traditional media entirely and still reach an enormous audience. What's more, by leveraging some of those assets, like popular Twitch streamers, let's say that Sony reaches out to a very popular Twitch streamer and says, 
I'm going to make a deal with you for X amount of money. I need you to stream and talk about these new games. And you can be totally upfront that it's sponsored content, but you will reach a much larger fan base. And that's a dedicated fan base. And if the fan base is really dedicated and they, they, the Twitch streamer is really genuine and transparent, then the company can piggyback off the popularity of the online personality, and it's an incredibly valuable marketing tool. Over at Microsoft, Phil Spencer, who's the VP of gaming there, had a different perspective. He said, quote, E3 is an incredible platform to showcase the vibrancy and creativity of the video game industry. The ESA continues to expand the event's reach to fans and the industry, both in attendance and online, and we look forward to what's ahead at E3 2019, end quote. Of course, right now, Microsoft is poised as the only gaming console manufacturer that will have a live press event during E3. The stage pretty much belongs to them at this point, which could be an incredibly valuable thing. If they don't drop the ball some crazy way, they kind of win E3 2019 by default. The question some people have is, is it still worth winning? Because meanwhile, some game publishers have also tried to pull away from E3 a little bit. Ubisoft has been known to hold off-site events during E3. EA has launched a fan event that took place at the same time as E3, but at a different location. So it was not connected to E3. It was their own thing. Then there's stuff like Blizzard Entertainment, which holds its own annual gaming convention called BlizzCon, which started back in 2005. They can use that as a place to announce big developments in their various titles. On top of those events, there are some held by other organizations that offer video game developers a chance to connect directly with fan bases. So the Penny Arcade Expo, now known as PAX, launched in 2004. It's a gaming culture festival. It's meant for gamers to attend, and it connects to the online Penny Arcade comic. That's the, the origin for this. It was the creators of the Penny Arcade comic who said, we want an event specifically for gamers as a celebration of gaming. Today, PAX includes multiple shows throughout the year. What used to be called PAX Prime, that was the original event, the one that takes place in Washington State. These days it's called PAX West, but there's also PAX South, PAX East, PAX Unplugged, which is for board games and, and card games, that kind of thing, like physical games. And then there's PAX Australia. Several video game developers attend events like this, and they give fans a chance to play demos and early builds of various games. And they'll even use those as places to announce new titles. So it kind of takes a little bit of the luster away from E3. E3's not quite as special because there are these other events that the companies are using to make these big announcements. From a media coverage perspective, E3 seems to be losing some value. There may be diminishing returns on the press coverage for E3 moving forward. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the conference has lost all its value because we are forgetting about all those meetings that take place at E3, right? Like, we tend, as the media and as consumers, we tend to be 
very much focused on the presentations, on the video game titles, on the demos, on the booth design, that kind of stuff, the flashy forward-facing stuff. But the stuff behind the scenes is still really important. Over at Kotaku, uh, Jason Schreier and Kirk Hamilton responded to a listener question to the podcast uh, Split Screen. They, uh, They said... Uh, the listener was asking about E3's relevance. Is E3 still relevant? And their response was more about the stuff that's going on off the show floor, namely those meetings that game developers get with potential publishers. And it's at those meetings where a company might be able to land a deal so that the game they've been working so hard on gets distribution. And publishers, in turn, might meet with retailers to make sure the games they distribute are getting good promotion and placement in stores that helps boost sales. They also mentioned that for smaller developers, getting the chance to share the stage with big companies like Sony and Microsoft is a huge deal. So up until 2019, Sony has been known as giving a a nice stage for smaller developers. They'll feature some of these independent games in their major press conference. And that gives what would otherwise be an obscure little title an enormous push in the larger gamer consciousness. It could turn something that would have just faded away into a cult success. Of course, this particular episode of Split Screen was recorded in the summer of 2018 before Sony had announced that it was not going to attend E3 2019. So that changes things a bit. And I also feel I should point out that the move toward digital distribution has made some of those retail discussions less relevant as well. There are still a lot of people who will only buy physical copies of games. But online platforms like Steam and the various console online shops have become increasingly popular options for gamers. According to Statista, 2012 was the last year when physical copies of games outsold digital copies. And that year, 54% of all games sold were physical, 46% were digital. The following year, those figures flipped. And every year since, digital copies of games have made up an increasingly larger percentage of sales compared to physical copies. So you're more likely to have discussions with Valve about the Steam platform than you are with Walmart about where they should put the Elder Scrolls Online display. Kirk Hamilton, on that same episode I mentioned earlier, said he felt that E3 was rapidly losing relevance as a media event. These days, companies are holding their own announcements and reaching large audiences through streaming. More and more companies are following in the footsteps of Apple, which kind of defined this sort of direct marketing back when Steve Jobs was presenting stuff like the iPhone in 2007. Since that time, we've seen other companies similarly pull out of big trade shows. Microsoft, which once upon a time held a place of dominance at CES for many years. Bill Gates would give the the top keynote at CES, and then uh, Balmer would give the top keynote for a few more years. But the company announced in 2012 that that was going to be the last year it would attend CES. It would no longer be part of this enormous trade show. And when you step back, you can kind of understand why. As these shows get bigger, it gets harder to stand out in the crowd. When everyone is holding a press event or begging for attention, then it becomes more challenging to get any focus for your own announcements. And not only that, if you hold a specific event at a specific time, like a big trade show, 
then all the companies that are going to be at that trade show have to work super hard to have something to show off on a date that wasn't their choice. You know, it's not their event. They're attending the event. So they have to work for someone else's timeline. And if you get big enough to say, you know what, we don't need to do this, you can step back and then your company can hold its own events on your terms, on your schedule. That's a big deal. It means you can wait until you really have something cool to announce and show before you come forward. You don't have to risk having nothing of note to show off or that you might show off something that's so early in development that there's no guarantee it will make it the rest of the way through. I have a little more to say about this subject, but first let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. A second ago, I was talking about CES and Microsoft. Well, CES is still an enormous show and it can easily carry on without the presence of Microsoft. And it has. But can E3 do the same without Sony? The PlayStation 4 has been the top-selling video game console since 2014. The PlayStation 4 debuted toward the end of 2013, and so every full year it's been available, it's been the top-selling video game console. It has sold more units every year than the Xbox One has. But this leaves not just Microsoft and then Nintendo's limited presence, there's also the enormous PC games market, so that's still going to be part of E3. Uh, according to Newzoo, in 2018, PC games accounted for $32.9 billion in sales, with $28.6 billion of that being in digital and physical copies. The other uh, $4-something billion dollars uh, was from browser-based games. Console games took up more of the market, slightly, they sold uh, for $34.6 billion worth. So a little bit more sales in console games than PC games. But PC games are still a big deal. However, both of those sectors were dwarfed by the mobile market. That racked up an astounding $70.3 billion in sales. $56.4 billion of that was for smartphone games. Mobile games typically don't get a ton of coverage at E3, but we might see that start to change. The ESA announced an attendee list not long after Sony's announcement that it wasn't going to be at E3 2019. And in a press release, the organization said, quote, Among the leading video game companies already committed to participating in E3 2019 are Microsoft slash Xbox, Nintendo of America, Activision, Bethesda Softworks, Capcom, Epic Games, Konami Digital Entertainment, Square Enix, Take-Two Interactive Software, Ubisoft, and Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment, end quote. That's definitely a list of heavy hitters. And while that doesn't necessarily indicate which subsidiaries will also be attending, it's good to remember that, you know, there are some other big names that are part of the umbrella that was mentioned. So, for example, Take-Two, which will be at E3 2019, is the parent company for Rockstar. And Activision is the parent company for Blizzard Entertainment. Also, people have predicted the death of E3 several times in the past, and so far, it's still alive. So back when the conference was scaled down in 2007, there were people who were saying, the writing's on the wall. This conference is just going to fade away. And it didn't. It came back. 
In 2016, when EA announced it was going to establish its own event during E3, it wasn't long before news broke that Activision was also planning to skip the event that year. And then another company called Wargaming, which is a smaller developer, they make a a game called World of Tanks, said it too was going to skip the event. And then Disney followed suit. Although, to be fair, that was likely because Disney was planning on shutting down its video game developer division, which was called uh, Disney Interactive Studios. And instead, they were switching to a model where the company will license out Disney properties to third-party developers. But we didn't really know that at that time. From the outside looking in, seeing these various companies kind of pull out of E3, it looked like it was a cascade effect. Like maybe this was going to be Uh, the end of E3 with lots of companies bailing on this established trade show. And it may even have been what convinced the ESA to open the show up to the public in 2017, that by making the show accessible to the public, it would also bring pressure on video game companies to participate or risk being left out of all the excitement. So uh, there are some who have said that that was probably why the ESA really chose. One, they could sell tickets and make money. And two, this would force the companies to participate for fear of otherwise getting the ill will of the gaming community. And thus the the trade show itself would remain relevant by force. And while Wired was musing on the possibility that E3 might die after 2016, Polygon would call for E3 to change or die in 2017. Brian Crescente wrote an article saying it was clear that the reasons the ESA started E3 were no longer relevant. Whereas in years past, game developers would use E3 to land publication deals for the rest of the year, Polygon cited industry professionals like Sean Layden of Sony, who said that these days, those deals are done before the games are complete and well ahead of E3. So they're not happening at E3, they're happening before. And E3's mission to bring attention to games isn't relevant anymore either. People are pretty aware of video games. And the piece pointed out that E3 opening up its doors meant it was trying to be the next PAX. But PAX is still PAX and manages to work pretty darn well. So it might mean that E3 is just being kind of a a watered-down version of PAX. Many video game journalists are guessing that Sony's announcement really means that the company is just trying to get its ducks in a row for the successor to the PlayStation 4. Sony executives already have confirmed that the company is working on the PS5, and most analysts guess it's going to come out either by the end of 2019 or perhaps in 2020, and it's possible that Sony wants to make sure it can hold an event all its own to announce this next piece of hardware and not have to worry about winning a trade show. And because they're focusing on the PS5, it probably also means they're winding down development for the PS4, which means they don't have very much to show off for the console that they are getting ready to phase out. And again, just like the PlayStation experience, it may well be that one of the reasons Sony wants to pull out of E3 is they just don't have a whole lot to show off. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense to maintain a presence there. Now, that could mean that in 2020, Sony would be right back at E3 now with the PlayStation 5, and that 2019 is just a blip in the radar. Or it might mean that more companies will follow suit and elect to have their own events instead of going all in together, and it could mean that E3 is finally starting to unravel. What do I think? I I suspect Sony will be back in 2020 unless 
the company just decides that it's much better to have your own stage rather than share it with others. Uh, the the real value, I think, is that by having a concentrated event, you get a lot of excitement that it's all focused at the same time, and you can you can get a lot of leverage out of that. But holding your own event means you can really control the focus and control the narrative. And so uh, I don't know. Uh, I think Sony will be back in 2020, but if they announce that they're done, I think E3 might be done too. Despite the fact that PC gaming continues on strong, it's getting stronger, uh, I just don't think that the the developers and the other companies will want to participate if there's a perception that the event is kind of falling apart. It might be one of those cases where people say, the ship looks like it's sinking. I don't know if it's sinking, but let's go ahead and get in the lifeboat just in case. Well, that wraps up this episode. It was fun to kind of talk about this and to go over Sony's uh, announcement. Uh, It it surprised me when I heard about it, and then uh, I had to learn more, and it was a lot of fun to kind of go down this sort of uh, guess, this estimation about whether or not E3 will stick around. What do you guys think? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. It may be that I'm completely off base, and maybe E3 is stronger than it ever has been, and I'm just being silly. I totally accept that that's a possibility. If you want to get in touch with me, you can go over to techstuffpodcast.com. There you're going to find links to get in contact with me via Facebook or Twitter. You can also send me an email. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And you can go over to our, our store, our merchandise shop. Every purchase you make goes to help the show and can stop me from stuttering. To be fair, it's been a very long day. This is the third episode I've recorded today, and I'm starting to lose my voice. But if you want to help me out, and by help me out, I mean help the show out, go check out tpublic.com slash techstuff. That's where all our merchandise is. Every purchase you make goes to help the show. Don't forget, Tech Stuff has been nominated for an iHeartRadio Podcast Award, which is a huge honor. I'm very, very pleased that that's the case. I'm more pleased that the... The people who decide who gets the award are listeners. So if you think Tech Stuff should win, you can go to iHeartRadio's podcast awards page, log in, and you can vote up to five times a day. You can even dedicate all five of those votes to Tech Stuff if you so wish. We are in the science and technology category, so go check that out. And look around. Maybe there's some other show that you would really like to see win in its category. You should go and support it. And I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 